So here at Grace Church, one of our passions is to train each other, help each other, so that we are growing in our ability in studying the Scriptures. Very important to us, because it's not enough just to have the elders studying the Bible. We all need to be studying the Bible, because as each of us is growing in studying the Bible, our faith will grow stronger, our love for each other will grow deeper, and our passion to advance the gospel will increase even more. And so it's vital not just that the elders or the home group leaders study the Bible, but that we all are studying God's Word. And so we work, we're working on how to do inductive Bible study, where we let the text speak for itself. And the reason I mention that is that this morning, we're going to see an example of how important it is to see how a whole passage fits together. Sometimes we can focus just on one verse, and there can be benefit from that, or just one paragraph, and there can be benefit from that too. But it's important that we sit back and say, what's going on in this whole passage here? Because there's more truth that we can see when we put the whole passage together. And that's what we're going to see in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 21. This passage has three paragraphs. And so we're going to be working on how do each of these paragraphs all fit together to teach us truth. So three paragraphs. The first, in verses 10 through 13, we're going to see Jesus in the synagogue And he sets a woman free. He frees a woman from an evil spirit. Powerful, what we're going to see. Then the second paragraph, verses 14 through 17, still in the synagogue, the synagogue ruler is angry about Jesus doing this, and Jesus responds to his anger. Very powerful, what we're going to see there. Then the last paragraph, verses 18 through 21, also still taking place in the synagogue, Jesus gives two parables about the kingdom of God. So, The question we're going to be asking is, how do these three paragraphs fit together? Let's start by reading the whole passage, verses 10 through 21. Verse 10. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. It's just a heartbreaking situation here. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what? is the kingdom of God like? 
And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Now let's focus on the first paragraph, verses 10 through 14. Let's ask what happens as Jesus is teaching, as Jesus teaches in the synagogue. Look again at verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Important to note that this happens on the Sabbath day. That's Saturday, which is the Jewish day of rest. Remember back in the early chapters of Genesis, God laid out a rhythm, a pattern for our week. Six days we work, one day to rest, and the Jewish day of resting was Saturday, the Sabbath. So on the Sabbath, Jesus is visiting this synagogue, and as happens so often, he's invited to teach. And look at what happens as he is teaching. Verse 11. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, what's going on here? Remember back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, God's curse came over the whole world. And this meant that God allowed Satan to, to rule the world. Now, God was still in ultimate control over everything. Satan could do nothing that God did not allow, or that God had to allow him, Satan to do things, okay? Satan couldn't do anything outside of God's allowing. But God allowed Satan to, because of our sin, to bring great pain to the human race in order to help us see the result of our sin and to wake up to our, our sinfulness. And so, for example, God allowed Satan to bring demons to people, to torment them and, and afflict them. Now, what are demons? What are evil spirits? Well, they are powerful spiritual beings, far more powerful than we are in ourselves, and their passion is to torment and torture human beings, and that's what we see happening here. I mean, think about what's happening to this woman. She has what's called a disabling spirit. It does not mean that every disability is caused by a, an evil spirit or a demon, but this disability was. And, and this demon was causing the woman to be bent over double. It's like, imagine if, if you were bent over double and couldn't straighten up. Think about what your life would be like. I mean, how, how, how do you go to the store? How do you clean your house? How do you have any relationships with, with people? And this wasn't just going on for like a whole day, as difficult as that would be, or a, or a month, as difficult as that would be. This was going on for 18 years. Imagine, she'd been bent over double by this horrible evil spirit for 18 years. And on this Saturday, this Sabbath, when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, she was there. You know something good's going to happen. She was there. So what happens? Verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. 
Now think about that. Jesus sees her and he stops his teaching. It's like he's teaching, he's teaching, and stops. Come. He summons her, calls her to himself. So picture this. Everyone in the synagogue knows this woman. Everyone in the synagogue knows the situation she's been in, the heartbreaking situation for 18 years. Everybody sees her coming up to Jesus. And so everyone in the synagogue is wondering what's going to happen. And they all hear Jesus say, Jesus looks right into her eyes and says, Woman, you are freed from your disability. So you imagine everybody's eyes are just fixed on what's, what's going on there. And then verse 13, And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. So just imagine that this was you. For 18 years, you'd been bent over double, hobbling around, trying to live your life. But now for the first time in 18 years, woo, you can straighten up. You're completely restored. You are free. This woman is glorifying God. Now, she may have had a real quiet personality. Praise you. Praise you, God. Or maybe a real praise God. We don't know. But she was glorifying God because she knew God had done this in Jesus. Okay, so, so understand exactly what's going on here. There's more to this story than just this woman being freed from this demon. Remember, because of our sin, this world is under the control of Satan's kingdom. God has allowed Satan to rule. God is still in total, complete control over what Satan does, but part of the curse of sin, it's come under Satan's rule and kingdom. But all through the Old Testament, God promised the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. One day the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to bring my kingdom, the kingdom of God, into the world. And when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, And when he died on the cross, he paid the penalty. He paid the guilt for the sins of all who would trust him. And by that death on the cross and his resurrection, he broke the power of sin. He broke the power of demons. He broke the power of Satan himself by dying on the cross. And that's why before Jesus died, as he was traveling through Israel, He would bring his power upon people to show what would happen through the cross, and he would set people free from the consequences of sin and of Satan. So he, we read about it, he he heals many who are sick, right? We've seen that. Like he, remember when he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law? He cast out many demons. Remember the, the boy who was being thrown into fire and water to try to kill him in the heartbreak his father had? Jesus freed that boy from that demon. Jesus raised people from the dead, like Jairus' daughter. And most important of all, Jesus forgave people for their sins, set them free from the guilt of sin and from the, the power of sin. And so this is what Jesus did. He brought God's kingdom. Satan's kingdom was ruling. Jesus invaded Satan's kingdom with God's kingdom. And people are being freed right and left from the consequences of sin and Satan. And what Jesus did was pure mercy, because it took him going to the cross, being nailed to the cross, being experiencing the lashes. This is pure mercy because we all wanted to sin. We'd all turned our backs on God. We'd all brought the consequences of sin. The curse was here. 
And Jesus came and died on the cross to set us free, to forgive us, to break Satan's power. That's what Jesus did. So let's summarize this first paragraph. That's what's going on in this first paragraph. Very simply, I just put it this way. First paragraph, chapter 13, 10 through 13, Jesus frees a woman from a disabling spirit. Beautiful story. Now, Luke could have stopped here and just gone on to something else, but the Holy Spirit led Luke to include a second event that happened still in the synagogue, right after Jesus freed this woman. And the Holy Spirit led Luke to include that because there's more that we are to learn here than just what happened with this woman. The Holy Spirit wants to teach us something by noting how the people in the synagogue respond to what Jesus did. So let's ask, how do people in the synagogue respond? Let's start with verse 14. Verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. So who's this ruler of the synagogue? Well, he's the guy who ran the synagogue Sabbath services. And when he saw what Jesus did in freeing this woman, he was indignant, which meant he was angry, he was bitter, he was resentful, he was fuming, indignant. So why? Why, why was he indignant? Well, it's because he had taught, and most of the Jewish rulers at the time taught, that it was wrong to do what Jesus had just done. What Jesus did was wrong. Now, was it wrong? Did God anywhere say in the Old Testament that you should not set someone free from a demon on the Sabbath? No, God never said that. God did say to rest on the Sabbath, but that did not mean you couldn't heal someone. See, this was another one of those times when a Jewish ruler, Jewish leader, makes up more laws than God put in his word because they were all about showing how righteous they were, and so the more laws that they had, the more righteous they could be seen as, they, they thought. They weren't right, but they thought that. But look at how Jesus exposes the hypocrisy and the contradiction of this. Look at verses 15 and 16. Then the Lord answered him, the ruler of the synagogue, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now, you might be wondering, daughter of Abraham, what does that mean? Well, that is a very beautiful term describing the fact that this woman was saved. She was saved. She was trusting what God was going to do through the Messiah. So all of her sins were forgiven. She knew God. That's why her immediate response was to glorify God for what had just happened to her. So imagine that you were this synagogue leader. And Jesus says, let me get this straight. So on the Sabbath, you're saying it's right to care for your donkey? 
but it's not right to care for this daughter of Abraham, this woman? Is that what you're saying, sir? The synagogue ruler had no answer. What could you possibly say? No answer. To the leader and those agreeing with him were silenced. And what happens next? Verse 17. As he said these things, all his adversaries, all Jesus' adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So there's this division taking place here in the synagogue. All those who are on the side of the ruler of the synagogue, silenced with shame. All those who were rejoicing in what God did, glory to God. Okay, so how should we summarize this second paragraph then? Remember the first paragraph, Jesus frees a woman from a disabling spirit. And then let's summarize the second paragraph like this. When Jesus is opposed... His enemies are ashamed, and everyone else rejoices. When Jesus is opposed, his enemies are ashamed, and everyone else rejoices. So there's the second paragraph. Now, Luke could have stopped the story there, but the Holy Spirit led him to add a third event that happened on that same day in the synagogue. Something else happened because there's There's more that the Holy Spirit wants us to learn about what happened that day in the synagogue. So how does this third paragraph fit in with the first two? And to answer that question, notice verse 18. There's a very important word there that shows not just that there's a connection, but how it's connected. Verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? He said, therefore. So that word therefore shows that Luke's telling us that what happens in this third paragraph is connected to the first two paragraphs. Jesus frees this woman. Jesus responds to those who are opposed to him. Therefore, verse, the third paragraph. In other words, the story doesn't stop with verse 17. What Jesus says next explains what's just happened. Let me explain to you what has just taken place here with this woman being delivered and this opposition. Let me explain what's just happened. So let's ask, how does Jesus explain what's just happened? How does he explain it? Read verse 18 again. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? So Jesus is still in the synagogue. All the people had seen Jesus free this woman from her 18 years of bondage. All the people had heard Jesus silence his opponents and everyone else rejoicing. And Jesus wants to use what just happened to explain something crucial about the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something about the kingdom of God that you've just seen here is what he's saying. So what do these two events teach us about the kingdom of God? To answer this, Jesus gives two parables. First, verse 19. The kingdom of God, it, kingdom of God, is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. 
So the kingdom of God is like a, a grain of mustard seed. Now, mustard seeds are tiny. Here's a picture I want to show you about mustard seeds. They're about one to two millimeters in diameter. Can you do a picture there? Do you have a picture? There it is. Tiny. So see, that's 20, 20 millimeters right there. So each mustard seed is about one to two millimeters. I mean, just think about holding a mustard seed in your hand. We're talking teeny, weensy, tiny. It's very small. So the kingdom of God starts small, but doesn't stay small. It then grows and becomes a tree. And mustard seed trees, depending on the species, can end up being nine feet tall with lots of vegetation and branches and leaves so that birds can come and find their or make their nests in those branches. So this first parable, here's how I summarized it. Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God starts small but grows steadily and gives security and shelter to many people. That's the first, first parable. And there's a second parable, verse 20. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It, the kingdom of God, is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. So here's a woman. She takes a little bit of leaven, hides it in three measures of flour. Now, three measures of flour, according to what they used the word measures to mean back then, that's about 40 liters of flour. That's a lot of flour, like about 50 pounds of flour, like enough to make enough bread for 150 people. So this is, this is a lot of flour. Very important, the point Jesus is making here. So take this little bit of leaven, and you put it in 40 liters of flour, the whole batch will end up being leavened. The leaven will spread through the whole batch. So let's put this parable together with the first one. Here's why I'd put, summarize them both. The kingdom of God starts small. Mustard seed, a little bit of leaven. The kingdom of God starts small, grows steadily, spreads steadily, and spreads throughout the whole world, blessing many people. That's the kingdom of God. Starts small, grows steadily, spreads throughout the world, blessing many people. Now, why is that important for Jesus to mention here? It's because what the people had just seen would have raised some questions about the kingdom of God. See, the people of Israel knew that because of sin, God's curse had covered the world, Satan's kingdom was allowed to rule, but God's people also knew that the Messiah had been promised and that one day the kingdom of God would come. But what most of Israel thought was that when the kingdom of God came, it would, came, it would come instantly. It would instantly transform the world, instantly destroy Satan, completely destroy every demon, destroy the Roman oppressors, remove all evil from the world, cast all of that into hell, and then just gather God's people together to have joy and peace and security forever. So they, they knew the Messiah was going to come. They knew that when the Messiah came, he was going to bring the kingdom of God. But they thought that when the, the Messiah came bringing the kingdom, instantly the world would be transformed all wickedness removed, everyone freed 
and God's people, those who trusted God, would be welcomed into being with him forever, and everything else would be cast into hell. So the key word is they thought it was going to happen instantly. Instantly. But that's not what we saw in these last two paragraphs. Jesus does deliver a woman from this afflicting spirit. But it's just one woman. There's lots of other people still who are suffering from from demons. I mean, if Jesus has the power to cast out demons, why doesn't he just say, all demons in the world be gone? I mean, he's he's the king, isn't he? He's the Messiah, isn't he? That's how they pictured it. If Jesus has that much power, why doesn't he just destroy all the demons? Why doesn't, and while he's at it, remove the Roman oppressors from us and, and wipe all evil from the face of the earth. Why doesn't he just do that instantly? That's, he's the Messiah. He's the, he's the king, isn't he? Isn't the kingdom of God here? What are we waiting for? Not only that, here's this ruler of the synagogue, indignant, opposing what Jesus has done, saying Jesus has done wrong, If the kingdom of God is here, if Jesus is the king, why doesn't Jesus just call fire to come down from heaven and destroy this guy? Why why this talk? Why talk? Destroy him. So what we're seeing in these first two paragraphs, Jesus wants to explain. We are seeing the kingdom of God, yes. The kingdom of God is here, absolutely. But the kingdom of God starts small. Think mustard seed, one to two millimeters. Think a little bit of leaven. The kingdom of God starts small, one by one. It starts small. Not not huge, not instant, but small. But even though it starts small, it grows. It grows steadily. It grows it spreads just like a mustard seed would grow just like leaven would spread the kingdom of god grows and spreads and it will end up spreading through the whole world start small grow steadily will spread through the whole world so here's how i put these three paragraphs together verses 10 through 13 jesus frees a woman from a disabling spirit Verses 14 through 17, when Jesus is opposed, his enemies are ashamed and everybody else rejoices. That's the second paragraph. And then third paragraph, Jesus explains what's just happened. Although the kingdom of God starts small, it will grow steadily and spread throughout the whole world. So I I could draw an overall arc over these three paragraphs. And the main point is we're talking about how the kingdom of God comes. That's the main point of these three paragraphs. Here's how the kingdom of God comes. Starts small, grows steadily, spreads throughout the whole world, and we've seen that illustrated in these first two paragraphs. Okay, so Grace Church, what does this mean for us? How should this impact us? Let me give you three takeaways, which I find very encouraging, and I hope you will as well. First of all, don't be discouraged by small beginnings. Don't be discouraged by small beginnings. Maybe you are the only believer in your workplace. Just you, this little mustard seed, there you are. 
Maybe you're the only believer, believing family in your neighborhood. Okay, a little bit of leaven right there. Maybe you're like the only believer in your family. Don't be discouraged. Little mustard seed, little bit of leaven will grow. The kingdom will spread. You are there embodying the kingdom of God. You've got the gospel. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. It will happen. So don't be discouraged by small beginnings. God will use you to see the kingdom grow. Second takeaway, keep planting the seed and spreading the leaven. The kingdom spreads, the kingdom grows as we share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's like sowing mustard seed or hiding leaven, spreading leaven. So, share your testimony. Be wise, but be bold. Don't share it during work hours. After work, do it then, but but share it wisely and boldly and lovingly. You're, you're planting seeds. You're, you're, you're spreading the leaven. Invite people to church. Invite people here. Invite people to your, your home group. Keep planting the seed and spreading the leaven because that's how the kingdom grows. And then third, understand, this is so strengthening. The kingdom of God will spread throughout the whole world. It is unstoppable. Remember, John was in heaven, or had a vision of heaven. He saw heaven in his vision. He was still on earth. Revelation chapter 7, a vast multitude of people that no one can count from every nation and tongue and tribe. They're all there saved. There will be people saved. God is going to save a vast multitude that no one can count from every ethnic language group. That will happen. So don't be discouraged by small beginnings. Keep sowing the seed, spreading the leaven, advancing the kingdom. The kingdom will grow. Don't worry about small beginnings. It will grow. You are there. It's God's power. He will do it. And you can be absolutely 100% certain that the kingdom will end up spreading throughout the whole world. There will be a vast number of men and women from every nation, tongue, and tribe saved, glorifying Jesus in heaven on the final day. Now let me close with a story. This is from Ireland, 1859. It's documented in a book called The Year of Grace, A History of the Ulster Revival in 1859. There was a school in this one little town, and it was full of students, and there was no evidence of the kingdom there. It was a godless place, full of unbelief. These students were crass and ornery and rude and ungodly. But one of the boys heard the gospel from somebody, and the Holy Spirit worked in him, and he started to feel convicted for his sin. So convicted, so weighed down, so, oh, this heaviness that one day, instead of going to school, he stopped and kind of went into kind of a vacant old house that was deserted, and he spent a couple hours there just crying out to God to save him through Jesus. Jesus, save me. 
look at my sin, the guilt, save me, forgive me, help me. And he was crying out to God desperately. And Jesus did exactly that. Jesus poured out upon him forgiveness. He felt the burden of his guilt and shame lift off and go away. He felt God's love being poured into his heart. He felt the presence of Jesus entering his heart. He was transformed and he went to school and he told the the headmaster there, Sir, I have Jesus living in me now. Here's what happened. I was gripped by my sin. I cried out to Jesus and trusted him and he has completely changed me. I'm a new person. Well, other students heard that, and God brought conviction upon them. And they were feeling guilt for their sin. And there, this was a movement that was happening. They, they, they started to fall to their knees and pray and ask Jesus to save them. Out in the playground, there were these little circles of students kneeling together, praying together, crying out for Jesus to save them. All these students are out there. They're crying out to God to save them through Jesus. And then when he would pour out his forgiveness, they would be jubilant and rejoicing and celebrating. The kingdom is spreading. Well, upstairs in the school was the girls' school. The girls are wondering, what's happening with the boys? They're looking out on the playground, seeing all these circles of boys kneeling down praying, just crying out to God, and then rejoicing with jubilation over the forgiveness. And the girls were hearing the stories of what's going on with them, and many of them started to come under conviction, falling to their knees, crying out to Jesus, forgive me for my sins, look at what I've done, thank you for the cross, help me. And God would pour forgiveness upon them and pour his love and bring the presence of Jesus upon them. They were filled with with joy. So the, this, the whole school was being impacted by the gospel. Well, neighbors were walking by out in front of the school. And they're seeing all this happening out in the playground and all the rooms. And, and they, what's happening here? And the students are telling them, I was convicted by my sin and I put my trust in Jesus and I'm a totally changed person now. And neighbors would, were coming in and they were falling down to their knees and, and convicted for their sin and crying out to Jesus to forgive them. And, and it ended up that every classroom in the school was filled either with students or with neighbors either crying out to Jesus to save them or rejoicing in the salvation Jesus had brought them. Somebody thought, we need to get some pastors here. So they went and they got the pastors from the town who came in. And so the pastor spent the rest of the day teaching the word of God to these people, praying with them, praying for them. An amazing move. And that happened until about 11 o'clock that night. Now remember, the kingdom of God starts small. But the kingdom of God grows steadily, and it will spread. It will spread throughout the whole world. So, Grace Church, here's my challenge to you. Sow the seed. Spread the leaven. Who knows what could happen in your workplace, in your neighborhood, Who knows what could happen in your sphere of influence, the the, the people that you know? Who knows what God might do, workplace, neighborhood, Abu Dhabi, in the next weeks or the next months? Who knows what God might do? Let's find out. Let's find out. Let's stand. Pray. Thank you, Jesus, for these encouraging pictures of what the kingdom of God is like. 
starting small, growing steadily, spreading throughout the whole earth. We praise you for saving us. We praise you for the cross. We praise you for the gift of your spirit. We praise you for bringing the kingdom. Lord, help us to be faithful, to sow the seed, spread the leaven, advance the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.